G'day and welcome to episode 100 of the Packity Podcast. My name is Hayden Thompson and today I have guest Sarah Davies who is the founder of More Granola, which is a granola business that Sarah is operating out of Toronto, Ontario and the business was founded in 2020. Sarah's back on the show for the second time and for those of you who didn't catch our first conversation, I encourage you all to head on back to episode 24 where Sarah goes into a lot of detail and the specifics on her actual startup story. But before we kick off into today's conversation with Sarah, I want to thank you all for your support of this podcast, especially with this episode being the 100th that is going to air. And for those of you who are new to the show, you're joining at a really exciting time. Now, like I said at the start, my name is Hayden Thompson, and as well as running this podcast, I also work for a packaging company located in BC, Canada called Food Pack, where I help CPG companies and food processors with their packaging and their food packaging equipment. Now, when I started at Food Pack a little over two years ago, I was new to the industry and I was out there chatting with business owners and operators about their businesses, and that's where I had the idea of creating this podcast, which is essentially just documenting and publishing these conversations for us all to learn from. And over these 100 episodes, um, this podcast, I guess, has really turned into a great resource because you just learn so much when you're talking to somebody who has gone all in and they're executing on their vision, which is actually the inspiration behind the name of this podcast, Pack Heavy. And I guess more than anything, I find that business owners and operators like Sarah today are packing heavy on their vision and they're all in and that's just a mindset and a mentality that I really respect. And I think that is something that you're all going to really pick up on today as well. As Sarah's really put her heart and soul into the business and it's really evident that even through the highs and lows that entrepreneurship can bring, that she really is destined for success. So I think that's enough from me for now. I hope you all enjoy the chat. Cheers. All right. Should we do it? Yeah. Cool. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me again. Ah, it's a pleasure. I'm so glad to have you back. Um, our first conversation was great and you were so insightful and, you know, giving of your time. And I really appreciate that. And I've put down in the show notes for everybody that's listening today, um, the reference back to the original conversation so that they can sort of get a, a really good understanding of where the idea of more granola came from and how you sort of developed and built out the business. That's great. Yeah, no worries. But it's been a while and I know that we have got a lot of news, Um, you know, whether it's about um, what you've been doing in terms of scaling the business, um, some small pivots and adjustments that you've made. And obviously the big one that I've just learned recently is that you've moved production into a co-packer. So that's really exciting. So a lot to talk about as well as sort of, um, you know, uh, live events coming back into uh, the world for us all. So yeah, I think we should just kick off into it. What do you reckon? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, cool. And obviously, oh, before we do, uh, it's obvious for everybody out there because it's out now, but this is episode 100, which is a, uh, a bit of a moment for the podcast. I'm, I'm really happy and I'm, I'm happy to have you on for episode 100 as well. It's awesome. I'm absolutely honored to be your 100th guest. I feel so <laughs> lucky. This is such a great coincidence. It's nuts. I, um, yeah, I don't know how those 100 episodes, you know, happened, obviously, one week at a time. They say, you know, you just eat an elephant one bite at a time. And yeah, it's just happened. It's good. <laughs> do they say that? Who There's says a that? saying, if you want to eat an element and eat an elephant, you do it one bite at a time. Wow. One week yeah. at a time. Yeah. Makes sense. It does. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that analogy came from, but I've heard it before. <laughs> Must be a, an Aussie thing. Ah, I heard it from a Canadian. Oh. It's <laughs> really funny. It is. Anyways. So business, how's it been? It's been great. You know, the last yeah. time we spoke, I was in the kitchen. I was baking mm. the product myself and delivering it to a group of local stores in the Toronto area. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and a lot has changed since then. I, as you mentioned, I partnered with a co-packer. So my production is now outsourced. Um, I've launched with a national distribution partner now. UNFI? And UNFI, exactly. Congratulations, that's huge. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's really exciting. I'm a part of their Up Next program, mm. which is focused on new emerging and innovative brands. Uh, and they really wanted to try to be inclusive of those smaller brands because they're such a, a huge distribution partner. And yeah. sometimes that can be in intimidating for a new company launching. Mm -hmm. So they've created this, it's almost like a mini incubator program to help new brands find their footing within distribution and help okay. them learn the lay of the land. And how's that experience been for you? It's been really great. Yeah. I uh, So when I partnered with my co-packer, I also launched with a smaller regional distributor in Ontario. And you know what, to be perfectly candid, the, the relationship wasn't great. Mm. Um, and I think what I neglected going into that partnership is to really think about my working style and that distributor's working style. Mm -hmm. So I'm incredibly data-driven. I want information. And um, I find it tough when there's more of an old school approach to things, you know, a lot of in-person conversations or on the phone. Um, UNFI has been a great partner for me now knowing this about myself that I, yeah. I yeah. like that immediacy of information. They've yeah. been a great partner because there's so much information. Some That's people great. find it a little overwhelming, but to be yeah. able to have all that data very quickly yeah. uh, has really helped me scale the business and, and grow with, within their network. That's fantastic. At mm. what point do you think that you'll grow out of sort of that um, up next program and sort of into sort of the wider world of UNFI? Is that something that you graduate into or do they sort of have um, like gates that you've got to pass through in terms of your business size and velocities? How does that all work? Yeah. So there is uh, revenue thresholds. Um, mm -hmm. Typically they say companies will be in that program for about two years. Right unless you make a partnership with a major Canadian grocery chain before then. Got you. So if I launched in Loblaws, for example, I would no longer be in that program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. And is it a hands-on approach? Like you've actually got somebody that's looking after your account and you know, you're in contact frequently. Like how does the relationship sort of work there? Exactly. I have a relationship manager and we meet on a weekly basis and she awesome. really... Yeah, she really holds my hand and explains the world of mass distribution to me. Yeah. There's so many layers, especially with a national distributor. Um, there's so many fees, so many chargebacks. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as a small brand, it can feel really, really overwhelming. Yeah. So just having that person that it feels like they're on your team, yeah. explain everything to you and it yeah. be not a high pressure situation where you're feeling like you're negotiating with a partner, but yeah. you you feel like your relationship manager wants you to succeed. They're on your side. They're on your side. Yeah. yeah got you. You know, it's interesting, like as the business grows, like obviously you've got to take into account your capacity to be able to scale and get, you know, enough product made and put into bags and building pallets and getting it out to fulfill those POs. And uh, then you've obviously got to take into account the cash flow sort of side of things as well. So how's that all looking on your end? Has that been a challenge to sort of navigate as well? Oh, has it ever? It's been 
yeah. quite the challenge, especially graduating to working with a co-packer. Yeah. You just, you have no idea how to forecast, how yeah. to plan for inventory. Yeah. I made the mistake of overproducing and having product that was, you know, close to expiring in my first um, year. Yeah. Um, and that's a really tough situation to be yeah. in. You don't you don't want to be delivering product to your mm. partners that's close to its expiry. It's mm-hmm. really it was really stressful. I've gotten a lot better at it now um, with help from UNFI. They do mm. provide demand forecasts, which mm-hmm. which really helps. And you know, some of it's just experience. Some of it's yeah. just seeing the ebbs and flows of my first year, mm. and now knowing okay, this is a safe amount to produce. Yeah. And I'd rather be a little bit short on a PO versus mm. way over. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's a constant struggle to, yeah. to manage cash flow. If you're growing, you're producing more than you're getting paid yeah. every single month. And yeah. so you're always going to be running at a deficit, not to yeah. mention if you make some mistakes, which inevitably we're all going to do we're going to make yep. marketing mistakes try things out that don't work mm-hmm. uh, so it's been a struggle mm. i've been always on the hunt for new loans new grants new opportunities that way mm-hmm. um and i still haven't taken on any equity partners mm. so i am still fully um bootstrapped and yep. debt financed. Yep, yep, yep. Got yeah. And is that something you're looking to change in the near or the um the sort of medium term future? Like are you looking to sort of expand in that space? Potentially. Yeah. I think I think sometime in 2023 will be cool. right for me. You know, yep. it's it's a balance to yeah. grow the business to a point where your valuation will be fair. Yeah. Um versus not getting in these constant cash flow crunches because mm. We're at the point right now where we're growing month over month That's at awesome. a great, great rate. Yeah. Um, and we don't want to stall that growth mm. by not having the funds to put into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got to sort of, you know, it's the chicken or the egg situation. And, you exactly. know, with you um, having bootstrapped the business for so long, I can imagine it could potentially be, a, you know, a bit intimidating, um, you know, letting some of the business go in terms of the equity that, you've, um, you're, that you're holding on to right now. But as you said, you can't really grow without it. It is. You're right. Um, there's a very, especially being a solo founder, mm. I think it's a very deeply personal. And yeah. right now I have all of the control and it, yeah. it, it's hard to let someone else in, mm. even though rationally from a business standpoint, you might know it's the right move. It's still such a personal decision to make. And it, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It really plays on the the entrepreneur's emotions more yeah. so than sometimes yep. their logical decision-making. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Were you able to um, negotiate some um, MOQs for your product with the co-packer that were in alignment with sort of what you were looking for too? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, we we produce half pallets and pallets. Perfect. So I kind of can increase by a half pallet increment, which is great. Yeah. And now I'm up to producing on a monthly basis. So I just oh, try great. to keep it rolling versus... Yep. Um, trying to stagger it and yeah. potentially overproducing one month and yep. having yep. product expiring. So, yep. you know, that's something that I've learned along the way, how to manage that and yeah. better from a cash flow perspective to be continuously producing rather than yeah. front loading. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, your product is so unique in that they're sort of like sheets of bark and it's one of the main value propositions that you have out there in terms of the way you differentiate yourself from your competitors and all of your beautiful marketing and social media activity that you put out there is sort of, you know, revolves around the fact that it's, you know, a unique looking product as well. 
how did your uh, co-packer go, um, you know, taking on production and maintaining um, quality and consistency in that space? Yeah, you know, that's also a journey. Um, mm. You can run as many tests as you want, mm. <laughs> unless you're a big company with a huge budget, it's really hard to run a full test, full-scale test production run um, to really work out all of the kinks Mm. and just have that product go to waste. That would be $20,000 for me. Mm. So it would be impossible for me to have done that. We ran a lot of tests, but you just, you don't know what you don't know. And there were inevitably some things that popped up. Uh, We are a freshly baked product. Mm. And so there's always going to be variants when you're baking product in an oven. There's different parts of the oven that cook at Mm. different temperatures and it causes all sorts of problems. So those first few production runs were quite frankly, really scary. Um, They weren't up to the quality that I had gotten my customers used to. And there was some variance there and I had to learn how to, you know, really step up my customer service Mm. and, it taught me to make a promise to my consumer. And I, I changed my policy on my website to a 100% happiness guarantee policy awesome. Yeah, because I wanted to know whether they ordered from me or they ordered from a, another store. I wanted to know if there was any issues because now we're constantly making tweaks. Every single batch we're mm. changing things. And I think now we're at the point where the product's better than ever. It mm. it's better than when I baked it. Wow. It's more consistent. Um, but I wouldn't have been able to get there without that feedback loop. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's scary when your your product quality and seems to take a little bit of a nosedive when you first scale up with a co-packer. And I think yep. that step for a lot of high quality handmade goods is really scary. Mm-hmm. Gourmet products, you know, you rely on that high quality. Yeah. And I know a lot of other producers that decide to do production in-house for that very reason because mm. that transition's so tricky and and scary but you know if you just stick with it and you have a great partner mm-hmm. you can now like now we're at the point where we have this handmade freshly baked product that we can scale mm. and it, it didn't require me to be in the kitchen or own my own production facility so yeah it's possible, but it's an awesome outcome. Not yeah. easy. No, I can only imagine. So did you saddle up next to them and spend some time in the kitchen and sort of pass on all of your knowledge in, you know, over to the business as well? Yeah. So we did that right off the bat during the testing and ramp up phase. Yeah. And now I tend to go every quarter yeah. just to check in on the process because we are making those tweaks every mm. single time. It's mm-hmm. good for me to be in there, see what's happening yeah. um, and, and have a little bit of firsthand knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. This is such a common thing. Like I had Justin from Justo's dips on and, you know, he's moving over to a, um, a manufacturer and co-packer as well. And we we're talking about sort of the positives and negative attributes that come along with a relationship like that. Um, later on in the year, I've got Mitch from Rivita in Calgary and they've just built out their own facility to create their own teas. And that mm-hmm. was a huge endeavor. I'm really looking forward to that conversation because they've moved from a co-packer to an in-house um, situation. 
And then you've got Sarah from Chiwi's Kiwi Chips, who's been working. Well, she initially launched the business uh, producing the product herself. Then she moved to a co-packer and now she's in the transition phase of moving everything across. So it's interesting that as a business scales and grows, how you can potentially like flip flop it back and forward, you know, to suit the needs of the business and, and the direction that you want to take it. Oh yeah, definitely. When, when you have more capital, yeah. the, the move is, is it's great to have that control to have yeah. production in-house and there's yep. so many government grants around yep. manufacturing that mm-hmm. um once your business is at that scale yep. there's a, an inflection point where it, it makes sense yeah you can really 100 leverage those grants mm-hmm. um i just had for everybody out there by the time your episode goes live um they will have already listened to it but it's episode 99 with irma from true local you know true local like the um the butcher box kind of style of yes. business the online i wanted i didn't wanted to use the a different word than butcher box but it kind of summarizes it for everybody yeah. out there but essentially it's a um online um what would you call it subscription business where you can order like meat and steaks and um so on and it'll arrive to you in the mail and we had an awesome conversation not only about like the business model itself but um you know as the business scales and grows they decided to build out their own online store uh from scratch and with it um, when they were actually doing the transition phase uh, from the old Shopify store to their new um, to their new program, the whole system went down for 12 days and it was an absolute disaster. And they call it the 12 days of the um, Phoenix, 12 days of Phoenix, they call it like they labeled this time and they grew so much out of that period, but it was just an absolute nightmare. And, um, and through it, they gained a lot of loyal customers and maintained a lot of their integrity because of the way that they handled their customer service experience. So Irma actually um, runs the customer experience side of the business. And so we sort of dug into sort of like what it means to have really great a customer experience and how to actually handle um, a lot of those customers who call in or email in and, you know, have objections to the way that they've been handled and so on. It was a great conversation. So throughout the period, like what kind of emails did you encounter, um, you know, potentially from clients who are expecting a higher quality or a consistent quality or, you know, they weren't happy with the product or the amount of time that the product took to arrive, whatever it may have been, how did you sort of handle it? And is there any sort of lessons in there that you could pass on to everybody? Yes. Uh, so we got all types of emails, mm-hmm. um, some incredibly positive and then some incredibly negative and, yeah. and having that full spectrum, especially as a solo entrepreneur working at home, it can be really demoralizing mm-hmm. to get some of those high highs and low lows. It just takes you on an emotional yeah. roller coaster. Yeah what I learned is to really take a step back. You know, there's that instant where you get a negative email and your heart drops, your stomach sinks, you just feel Mm. terrible. Um, You take it on yourself because you're so close to this product and this business. Um, But if you take a step back and you look at how valuable that piece of feedback might be in terms of the potential it could have to change your process or change the way that you're doing something that caused this issue in the first place, I usually start my responses to customer emails with a thank you for bringing this to my attention for, Mm -hmm. you know, caring enough to sit down and write this email or make this phone call or post this review because it does take time. Uh, You know, some people think it, it can be so immediate to type something up and fire it off. And sometimes it happens in the heat of the moment, but someone cared enough either way to write something positive or negative and that mm-hmm. that is valuable 
So I usually start off by thanking them. Uh, and then I just try to dig into the problem to mm. ask a couple questions, just to clarify, make sure that I have all the information and then I try to make it right. So a hundred percent of my negative emails or negative comments that I've gotten, the customer didn't want a refund. They wanted new product. Mm. You know, they were just yeah. alerting me to a problem with product. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm really lucky my product, there's nothing that's going to really spoil or make anyone sick. Or, you know, we had some product quality issues with the, the bake variants. Mm -hmm. So some product was crunchier than others. Um, and that was the feedback that we were getting. Right. And to me, it was the end of the world, but, you know, to a customer, it's, it's not ideal, but it's, it's not a horrible. Yeah. It's outcome. more annoying than anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So usually it could be solved by, I would completely replace that product for them. Yeah. And sometimes depending on the volume that they'd ordered, I would add in something extra, you yeah. know, something to make them come out of that experience, noting that it was positive and that mm -hmm. I was really responsive and they got something mm. happy out of it yeah. versus you know, they were ignored. They weren't mm -hmm. heard. Nobody yep. cared. Yeah. You don't want that. No, it's the last thing you want. So, I mean, all pretty standard, like pretty standard features when you're looking at a standard operating procedure of like a customer response. Like, I think that you've done everything within your power to try and rectify the situation. And like you said, like make it right. And I think, you know, if you go into it and I think the most valuable piece of advice that you just gave just then is just to step back for a minute and take a, a deep breath and, you know, when I receive emails that are, you know, alerting me to news that I didn't want to hear as well, it's so tempting to just like fire back a return instantaneously, but to just step back, have a cup of coffee, sleep on it if you can, and then return to it with like fresh eyes. It makes such a difference as well as to how I'll handle a situation. Yes. Yeah. And I also tend to input a little tidbit of the behind the scenes of yeah. the business, Yeah, yeah. you know, and remind people mm -hmm. that I'm a small business. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make mistakes. Yeah. This is why this happened. Give them a little bit of context because yeah. we're all humans. Yeah. And yeah. I think something that I've really noticed coming out of the pandemic is people have this increased appreciation and understanding for mm. human struggle and people oh, yeah. that are trying to, they're, they're trying their best. Yeah. I'm yeah, trying yeah. my best. And yeah. as long as I can show that to these people, they, they tend to respond in a much kinder and mm. Uh, gentler way yeah. in yeah. their next email, even if their initial email might have come in a little hot. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. But yeah, it? you can yeah. you can usually turn those conversations around just by bringing it back to a human level. Yeah, you're right. Context means everything. Like, give some people some insight for sure. Um, you mentioned in an email that you and I sent when we were teeing this up that you have made some small pivots and adjustments to the business. And obviously, like there have been some huge adjustments to the business, like moving to a co-packer. What other adjustments have you made over the last year since we spoke? Yeah, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I really noticed, and I think a lot of brands that were heavily reliant on digital advertising mm. noticed this. There was this steep drop-off. Um, I launched this business on a Shopify site, 70% of my revenue was from direct to consumer. And I've pivoted to focusing more on wholesale and my distribution uh, revenue. Yeah. The direct, I felt like I was spreading myself too thin. You know, you brought up the cash flow mm. concerns earlier in this conversation. And 
as a small business, sometimes you do have to prioritize and you can't Mm -hmm. do it all. Um, I couldn't do three different revenue streams. So direct to consumer, direct wholesale and distribution all at the same time and scale them all up at the same time because they have different needs. Uh, So that was a big pivot that I made last year. I was, my cash flow was just in a dire place (laughs) and I had to make some cuts and I decided to focus on growing the distribution side of the business. Mm -hmm. So I cut out all of that other focus um, and just devoted all of my resources to distribution. And with that came less of a reliance on digital marketing. Mm. And what I noticed is even, even in my own habits, I noticed that I just, I have this desire to get away from my phone and stop spending endless time on my phone, on social media apps and be outside. Yeah. My priority. And I think a lot of people feel this way is to be out in the world with people in person and so I've really shifted my marketing focus from digital to like, and digital community building as well, mm-hmm. um, to in-person demos, in-person events. And that's been doing really well for us. Mm. Being able to meet customers and to sample the product has yeah. shown a much higher return on investment than anything digital that I did. That's awesome. How frequently are you getting out there and doing these sampling events? Is it a weekly occurrence or a couple of times a month? Oh, yes. it's, it's Right now, we're at three times a week. Um, wow. Throughout the summer, yeah. I've, yeah, <laughs> I really ramped it up. I'm really yeah. trying to take advantage Seriously. of yeah. of the warmer weather, of people being in this excited mood, excited to interact with, yeah. with others um, yeah. and supporting small businesses. So a lot of people, when they learn that, I'm the business owner. I'm out here. I'm mm. wanting to meet them and get their feedback. They're yep. so respect receptive to trying our product out and to speaking with me. Yeah. Um. So I tr- sometimes it's two times a week. It's usually three, uh, either in store or at some sort of event. That's really interesting. Um. So building relationships at the storefront level, not only with your um clients but with the managers and the staff of the stores, and I guess that helps. You've got um Jake from um, Midday Squares who's doing his milk run, and you know he makes a huge focus of getting out into the world and actually like getting to understand who the retailers are. And I think that it pays dividends, you know, because they're going to be more inclined to you know face your product out to the world and, you know, make really nice displays for you and, you know, talk about your product if somebody's got any questions too. Is that exactly what you found? Like the level of care and understanding at a storefront level just increases? Yes, that's exactly what I found. I found half of my demo days are usually meeting all of the employees of the store, having them all try the product, explaining the product to them. Yeah. Um, And I, uh, half of them tell me, okay, I'm going to, go buy a couple bags after my shift. And, you know, not only do they leave my demo being customers, but supporters. And as you said, that that makes a difference in the types of displays that are created. And sometimes where your product's placed on shelf, or if there's an opportunity uh, for a promo, then they might consider me if I'm top of mind. Yeah, for sure. So now that you're not in production, you're able to work on the business rather than in the business, figuratively speaking, because you're not on the tools anymore. So you're receiving POs, you're sending them off to the manufacturer, you're taking receipt of stock, 
you're sending it out into the world, focusing on sort of, um, you know, marketing to other businesses and in-store demos. So how else are you spending your time on the business? Is that it in a nutshell? I know that's not a nutshell, like that's a big nutshell, but like, how are you sort of dividing up your time so that you're, you know, strategically speaking, working on the, um, the parts of the business that make the biggest impact? Yeah, I also do work with a number of freelancers. So right. I'm I'm the only full-time employee yep. of my company, but I work with sales <laughs> freelancers, marketing, um, and most recently uh, some admin support. Mm-hmm. So I've actually taken some of that operations work off of my plate as well. And yep. I'm really focused on strategy. Um, strategy and getting out into the world to put this brand forward for any and all opportunities. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that takes up a lot of time. The in-person stuff, I think that was a big shock coming back to this return to normal, how much time in-person things take. Yeah. Uh, if I'm doing three demos a week, that's three full days. Yeah. I was going to say they're not half days. They're like, you've got to dedicate a full day. Yeah. Yeah. You have to travel there, set up, tear down, travel back. Yeah. Uh, and then there's all sorts of stuff coming in your inbox all day yeah. long that you're checking when you get back there. Yeah. You can't actually work on anything. Yeah. So, you know, another big part of my role right now is finding funding. Mm. So whether that's applying to grants, which there's grants kind of peppered through the entire year that you could be applying for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, loans and cash flow management, that's a big part of the role as well. Got ya. Yeah, it's amazing. I um I'm obviously working in sales here at Food Pack as well. And I try and spend two days a week out on the road. And I spend from each individual day of the week, I have to spend a full day in the office just catching up on admin and doing all of my summary emails and catching up on their in uh on my inbox from the day out on the road. And uh so yeah, my day starts with a Monday, is I get in. It's an admin day. I square away my week, book all my meetings for that week and the following week. And then I get out on a road on Tuesday. I'm back in on Wednesday. I'm out on Thursday. I'm back in on a Friday. And like just having that sort of pattern and coming to the realization that, yeah, admin days are just as important as days out on the road, but the days out on the road are just so critical. Like people Mm. really value a face-to-face conversation, a handshake. They love it when you take the time to go out and visit them. Like it just means so much because not a lot of sales reps are actually doing that. Like so many people are just quick to fire off emails and pick up the phone, but it's really, it's the face-to-face that means everything in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. There's always so many follow-ups that come come from Mm. those days. Every time that I'm in a store, there's things that they're mentioning that I need to follow up on um, or people that I'm meeting throughout the day that remind me of something or spark some some idea and some inspiration. So they they yield a lot. Mm. You know, it, it is a big investment because people think about how much time it takes to get mm-hmm. out there yeah. when you could just fire off an email. But mm. uh, I think you have to, it's a balance. Mm. You have to pick and choose what opportunity yeah. is worth that in-person visit. I agree. And, you know, sometimes you can follow up on that with an email, but yeah. I agree the the in-person is irreplaceable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm on your website right now and you've got the, like the rolling videos on your homepage and they are so cool. Um, who put that together for you? Was that something that you've recently done? Yes, I did that. When did I do that? Maybe almost a year ago. Okay. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Is a good response? 
Yes. I think it's worked really well. I, yeah. I did a lot of testing with my website homepage right. um, to figure out what layout really worked. And mm. when I was more focused on e-com, mm-hmm. um, I was constantly kind of changing around my my webpage to try and get that conversion yeah. rate up. Yeah. And the video, I think, really captures people's attention. Yeah. Uh, I had a freelancer make that. Um, it was based off of a larger video that is on YouTube. Okay. Uh, that has an interview with me and it has cool. some B-roll as well. And and then they just created this shorter loop that's product yeah. focused. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, the the website is such an evolution. It, it's a lot Forever of testing. Evolving. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where exactly. are you doing... A-B split testing or sort of what was your approach to testing there? Like we're using Unbounce or any of those websites to sort of have landing pages and. I wasn't actually, I was doing a really manual approach to it. So what I would do because we were running digital ads at the time, I would every week check my metrics and see what was happening. And then Mm -hmm. I would make tweaks and I would be very careful to only change one thing at a time and then mm. see how it impacted the metrics. But I was looking at it on a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, I was doing the same with our uh, email flow. So um, the direct consumer emails that come from signing up to our newsletter on our website. Yeah. yeah. I was tweaking the email flow constantly and yeah. testing little tweaks there and yeah. really optimizing it. And I think we've come to a place where everything was converting quite well. Yeah, cool. Um, with, the, you know, you obviously still have um, the ability for people to come onto your website and buy individual bags of uh, your granola and ship it um, Canada-wide. How have you managed to sort of maintain your shipping costs? Is that something that you're constantly grappling with? Because it's not cheap to ship product here in Canada. No, it's not. And it really ballooned yeah. during the last year. Yeah. Um, I, unfortunately, I used to offer free shipping at mm. a certain threshold mm-hmm. and I was constantly struggling to have that threshold be high enough. Yeah. So, you know, I, I raised the threshold at one point and then I just realized, you know, this, the shipping cost is too unpredictable mm-hmm. and I'm still a small business. Yeah. I do need to be more mindful of this because you can get one package to a remote place in Alberta. That's $30 to ship. Uh, it's not even covering no. the, the product cost. Yeah. Um and, you know, you might make that back by one or two dollars in Ontario if you're shipping locally and um, you've charged for shipping. Potentially, you, you might be able to make some of that back, but it's, yeah. you're constantly trying to make up that deficit. And it just became such a risky gamble oh, can't imagine. that yeah. I just decided to put on flat rate shipping mm-hmm. because, you know what, as a small business, shipping isn't free. No. And we're all trying to compete with that free shipping ethos but to get something delivered to your door should come at a cost Mm. like you're not physically going out to the store you're you're not taking your time and your gas or your you know to get to that store so yeah it should come at a cost that what that cost should be it's it's crazy right now but i I just needed to set some sort of floor to it because gotta do it Yeah. yeah spiraling we've all been spoiled by amazon it's really set the bar so high that it's out of the reach of so many people you know amazon's got the ability to leverage their own um unique uh infrastructure that they've built around like deliveries and so on it's pretty awesome what they've done but yeah i i can't imagine being a small business like yours and trying to compete in that space with them um yeah really difficult 
Yeah. And, you know, for some higher value products, it, it might be more attainable yeah. to offer free shipping, yeah. Yeah. but nobody wants to get up to a hundred dollars of granola to get it's a lot of granola. free shipping. It's a lot. <laughs> You're basically buying a year's worth of granola and then you got to give some away as well. <laughs> you know, you would be surprised. Not quite. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> some people go through it really quickly. Yeah. 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 If you're eating it every day and you've got kids for sure. Yeah. Yep. 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 So what's on the horizon for you? Obviously, um, my thoughts are that you're going to continue um, smashing into retail and working with your distributor. Um, but yeah, where are you heading? What's next? It's really exciting. We've started to expand into different provinces. Cool. So we're mainly based in Ontario. Most of our retail partners are in Ontario, but yep. we've started to get a couple key accounts in BC, Alberta, Quebec. Um, so that's really exciting to get the foot in the door there. Yep. Uh, and I'm really hoping to launch another SKU oh, cool. in the new year. So yep. I have another flavor lined up mm-hmm. that I'm hoping I'll be able to launch in 2023, okay. along with another size pack for our current flavors. Cool. So just another more portable option, let's say. Yeah, nice. Oh, that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, so you're doing a bit of R&D and getting the product out into the world for people to do some testing with? Exactly. I'm, cool. I'm lining up some tests for the new year and um, yeah, we'll see how those go before planning the official launches, but that's exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for the conversation today. I've really enjoyed catching up with you and sort of getting an update on your business. And thank you for so much for being a supporter of this podcast too. You've introduced me to quite a few guests on here and I really appreciate that. And uh, I know that you listen um, frequently too. So thank you for all of your support and your time today. I do listen frequently and I really enjoy it. I love hearing the other entrepreneurs' stories and it's something that keeps me constantly inspired. So thank you for what you do off the side of your desk. Yeah, cheers. Um, And thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries. Hey, if anybody wanted to follow up with you and get in touch and learn a little bit more about what you're doing, uh, what's the best way for them to reach Check you? us out on moregranola.com mm-hmm. uh, or you can follow us on Instagram. Yep. If you reach out to either of those email addresses or Instagram handles, you can reach me quite easily. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Cheers. Oh, and congratulations on recently getting married. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, before we go, I know that you um, you cycled around. Was it Europe? What country was it that you went for a ride? Yeah, we we rode both in France and Switzerland, which was oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, that would have been awesome. So congratulations on that. I can imagine you've got a lifetime's worth of photos there. Uh, we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Have a good one. Thanks so much, Aiden. Bye. Bye. So thanks again for joining us for today's conversation and taking the extra 45 minutes out of your day to try and learn something. I hope you did because I got a lot out of that conversation with Sarah. Um, All right, if you want to continue the conversation, the best place to go is on LinkedIn. So just look up my name, that's Hayden Thompson, T-H-O-M-S-O-N, and I'll have today's post up. And uh, if you would like to shoot me an email and learn a little bit more about how I can help you with your packaging or packaging vision, definitely go to Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. I will see you next week for episode 101.